at whatever stage of their Christian life to uh, realize and consider what God has done in their lives. He wants them to know that they have authentic faith because there's a sense that they've been really challenged by the Gnostic heresy that was going around that says, you know what, we can do what we want in the flesh and really doesn't uh, really challenge what we're doing by faith in terms of our belief systems. But John's thought, commenting on this, said this. explains, John is laying emphasis on the assured standing into which every Christian has come, whatever stage of spiritual development. To grow, we must be assured and encouraged about what God has done and doing in our lives. So whatever stage you are in your Christian life, God wants to encourage you to grow. And a lot of times we kind of stagnate, as it were, in our Christian lives. We perhaps accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, and in the process, I think that lot's really good. But let me remind you, there are stages of growth in the Christian life. Don't be content to stay where you're at. Seek to grow in your Christian walk, and as I said earlier, don't stagnate, because so often we accept Christ, and we go through life, and we don't really grow. See, the evidence that your faith is real is that you're growing in Christ and you're growing in your love for others and you're growing in your compassion and you're, you're growing in, the, in your walk with God and, and people should be able to evidence that. that you're, you should not, when you come to Christ, stop and be content where you're at. The failure to grow is really one of the greatest tragedies of the Christian life. There are fortunately many baby Christians out there who are stuck and acting like babies, really, after having come to faith in Christ. The babies are really cute. But a 30 to 40 year old in diapers, having temper tantrums, would cause rather a natural aversion to want to even spending time with those people. And so often in our lives, we, we see people that are acting like babies. Like I said, babies are cute. But 40 year olds, that's another story. John is dividing his readers into three groups as he addresses the whole issue of spiritual maturity. He names them as little children, young men, and fathers. He addresses each group twice in this passage. He's not indicating their physical ages as some think, but rather he's addressing these stages of spiritual development. Remember that John writes to the little children also applies to every stage of the Christian life. We should never be complacent with where we're at in our Christian walk but we should strive to know Christ better in order to grow spiritually. Now, God's grace is shown to us on the cross. It should be the greatest motivator for us to want to grow. The fact that Christ actually died, that he rose again, and that he did it for me should be a sufficient motivation to say, you know what, if Christ gave his life for me, then I ought to grow in my relationship with him and get to know him better. God wants us to be encouraged by his grace so that we be motivated to grow. Ephesians 4, 11-13 talks about how God has set up the church to encourage one another in the body. He says that He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God's desire for you is that you would grow. And that's hard sometimes to really grasp and understand, but he says, my desire, I want you to grow. That's his passion. So the question is, where are you at in terms of your growth? Have you moved on? Have you really focused on what you can do to grow in your walk with him? It's more difficult for those of us perhaps who have grown in Christian homes who actually have a, to really appreciate God's grace as a motivator to want to change.
Those who have been saved from a difficult past have a, perhaps a little easier time to understand the grace of God because if God hadn't intervened in their lives, things would have really been messed up. In 1 John 2, 2, 12, we read this, I'm writing you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. See, by coming to faith, they had become children of God. That's what, when a person comes to a saving knowledge of Christ, we always, a uh, term we use often at the Lighthouse, they're a babe in Christ. And the thing is, our expectations are rather limited of a baby because babies are just born again. They're just really starting to grow. They're still just starting to grasp the spiritual truth of the faith. But yet, their sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven because of Jesus Christ, the fact that he is our propitiation and our advocate. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. But the most wonderful thing, though, however, is seeing someone come to faith in Christ. Their enthusiasm is infectious and contagious. My greatest joy as a pastor is leading people to Christ, and I've had the opportunity to do many. I thought about, hey, maybe I should tell a story about somebody I led to Christ, but I thought, hey, we're doing Facebook Live, so let's change it up. Some of you have heard her testimony before. Uh, Monique, why don't you come on up here and share your testimony in terms of what's really happening. We're doing the spacing you see that we're supposed to be doing here. But Monique, uh, I remember talking to Rose. She was working at your law firm, and uh, you had talked to her because you'd heard that I was a pastor. And you, the, the question that Rose asked me at that point was, uh, Monique would like to get married, but the thing is, and she would like to know if you would do her wedding. And I said, okay, that's, that's interesting. But there can't be any mention of God. Well, Rose and I kind of prayed about that. We thought, well, maybe this might be an opportunity for us to witness the grace of God in that situation and kind of walk into that, even though we're supposed to mention God. And uh, why don't you take it from there, Monique? Um, well, it wasn't uh, long after the wedding that uh, everything kind of ended in a very abrupt manner. Um, without lack of better saying, um, there was an affair involved and um, that kind of broke down everything. And um, the great amazing thing about God is that about six months before that, uh, it was almost like he was pointing me towards him because he knew what was going to be happening. Um, and I started to come to church, and and it was through my attendance that I was able to uh, come to know the saving knowledge of Christ. And, and he got me through everything that was going to come up after that. I kind of remember that. We, uh, Rose and I went over to your place to visit and we're talking to you and actually we give an invitation and you'd come forward and I still remember that very distinctly and uh, I remember asking you, have you received Christ as your Savior? And kind of expecting maybe that I would be sharing a little bit more with you and you said, yeah, I already did in church. I went, oh, okay. Three days ago. Yeah. <laughs> like literally just pretty, said it that. That was really awesome. I thought, oh, this is really great. We were just kind of rejoicing. And then when you accepted Christ in your life, uh, the next step you said you wanted to get baptized, which was awesome. Uh, tell us about your baptism as you were baptized and what transpired in your life from that point. Um, once I was baptized, I just felt such a large amount of joy in my life. And um, growing up, I had, I had dealt with a lot of mental health issues. And um, not to say that it all went away, it did not, but the way that I was able to deal with all of those things, God helped me and gave me the knowledge and his word and the power to push through all of those things that I was dealing with before. And so now that you've accepted Christ in your life, things have been easy peasy. 
things have just gone really well and your life has just been so fantastic, right? Uh, wrong. <laughs> Very wrong. Um, there's been a lot of challenges and a lot of things that I've had to deal with and um, just because I am a Christian now doesn't mean that anything is easier. Actually, I find it much harder because I am now under the microscope with my family and but it's a challenge that I'm willing to accept in order to glorify God and his goodness, and I will take it every day if I need to, um, just to, to let everybody know how awesome he is. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing, Monique. Appreciate that. And so uh, we at Lighthouse are blessed to experience Monique, uh, see her testimony, her baptism, and uh, see her two little girls here in church where they're running through the church, ripping around. Uh, but you know what? Thrilled my heart to see little ones ripping around the church and uh, to see the joy from their faces. As we go back to God's word, Ephesians 1, 7 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? To know for you and I that our sins are forgiven. Past, present, future, all are covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Something we really don't really take to heart too often. But I think that God's grace was sufficient. That no matter what crud, no matter what sin, no matter how many, bad I screwed up, it's all covered by the shed blood of Christ. Uh, we sometimes, folks, take that for granted. We think to ourselves at times, oh, I, you know, I, I just told a little white lie. I just did a little thing. Not, a, not really a big deal at all. But you know, God's... Grace is so great that we need to really focus on it and think about it. To know that he has extended his grace toward us when we didn't deserve it. While we really couldn't give a rip about what God did. He said, I love you so much. I'm washing away all your sin to those who place their faith and trust in him. First Peter 2.24 says this. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Our sins were put away at the cross with the result that they are never more remembered against us. Our Lord Jesus Christ cried on the cross, Telestali, or it is finished. And so there was nothing more that we had to do. It was all covered, finished, cleaned, wiped. And because of his sacrifice, we can now live eternally. Steve Cole says in his commentary this, Forgiveness of sins is for his name's sake, not for anything you have done or can do. All you can do is receive it by faith. The enemy will repeatedly come to accuse and condemn you for your sins. Answer him every time, not with your performance, but with the name and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when the enemy comes, and he's going to come, he's going to say, hey, how can you be a believer? How can you be a Christian? Look what you've done. You say, hey, Look at the cross. My sins were washed away by what Jesus Christ has done. Get away. And our sufficiency is found in Christ's sacrifice. Then we read on in 1 John verse chapter 2, verse 13. He said, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. Paul earnestly prayed this prayer. He said this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Here, the idea when Paul, the Apostle Paul says, I, I want to know him, 
And what he's really saying, the Greek actually brings up this idea, I want to know him by experience. It is this personal knowledge of God that constitutes one of Father in Christ. This is the height of Christian maturity that comes through a life of intimate fellowship with Christ. One who has walked over time with Christ. And the question I need to ask you, do you long to know Christ in a greater way in your life? And there's only one way you'll ever become a, a father in terms of what John is writing here, is that by knowing him in a greater way. But the question is, how do you get to know Christ? How do you get to know him in a greater way? Well, by living in intimate fellowship with him day after day for years. You know him when he ministers you in your sorrow, your heartaches, your tragedies. You know him when you put Christ first and find your happiness and join him. I remember a time in my life going through different circumstances, different tragedies, whether through the death of my father or through a marriage that failed at one point, that I found myself broken and on my knees before God. And I found God in a very unique and different way than I ever had at that point in my time of my life. I found that he was real. He ministered to me, and I found him in a great way to bless me and encourage me in ways that I never really could comprehend and understand. But the idea is, again, this idea of a consistent, steadfast, day-by-day walk, learning and growing in Christ. As young men, we're told also in Scripture to run away from many things. Second Timothy 2.22 says this, So flee or run away from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. 1 Corinthians 10.14 says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So the young men who are addressed here in this passage have so far proved to be faithful and have not yielded themselves to the corrupting influences around them. That's why they're commended by John. All of us, including young men, need to recognize that the evil one does not just describe in this passage the enemy of our souls as already being bad in character, but as a fierce enemy who's out to decimate us and wipe us out. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5 that we need to... that the Satan is like a roaring lion who seeks to devour us. Unfortunately, we often forget that truth, and we think we can dabble with darkness and deception of sin and mess around with it. But John goes on to address the children in this passage who know the Father. Here, the word he uses for children seems to emphasize the fact that a child is a learner, one who needs guidance, while the term, the other term, children, stresses the fact that a child was born into the family. And so J.I. Packer has a good reminder to us in this passage. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being a God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. And that was from his book called Knowing God. The last verse in this passage says, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So what makes one who is spiritual a spiritual young man? Is it not the word of God abiding in him? What makes a young man a father? The word of God abiding in him. That's the secret of growth. 
This one will move him from stage to stage until at last he becomes a father, able to, to reproduce himself and others. And the idea again is abiding in God's truth is what brings growth. That's why we sometimes emphasize over and over and over again, I know you get tired of hearing it, have you spent time in the Word? Have you spent time in prayer? What's your daily Bible reading like? And oftentimes you hear, well, I'm so busy, I'm doing this. But the thing is, the key thing is, if you and I really want to grow in our walk with Christ, we need to really think about this. Am I spending time in God's Word? And what I mean is not just kind of reading through, okay, close, because, you know, we've all done that. We get up, we read a passage, we walk away and we forget what we read because we just were so busy. But yet, God's desire is for each one of us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. He wants us to mature. And so, what moves us in terms of our spiritual growth is our dependence upon the Word of God as it feeds us every day. It's impossible to grow up as a Christian or as a real man or woman unless God's Word abides in you. That's why the devil fights so hard against his matter of Bible study about spending time in Scripture. The building of your life around the centrality of the Scriptures. And that's why there's always an unheard of barrage against us in terms of why we struggle so much with reading God's Word. I spent time with guys. I remember listening to Dr. Stephen Olford, Prince of Expository Preaching. And he taught at one of the courses I took through Trinity Seminary. And I remember meeting him personally at Heritage Seminary once and talked to him. I said, what's the greatest struggle in your life? He's, he's a godly man, love Christ, great preacher. He said, the biggest struggle I have in my life is spending time in God's Word daily. And I thought, Really? I was rather amazed at that whole idea that a man even in his 80s who followed God faithfully and over and over had such a struggle with spending time in God's Word. And as I've met other men of God through the years, I find that continues to be a great struggle for all of us. I don't, And the fact that it's a struggle should remind us of the necessity of spending time in His Word. It's a supremely important aspect of moving us into maturity. Though the devil cannot stop us from being Christians, he can certainly keep us from becoming strong Christians. And this is exactly the way he does it. I, I don't want people to spend time in the Word. I don't want them to grow. I don't want them to mature. Because a man and a woman who is strong and in their faith and their commitment to Christ has a greater impact not only on their family and on their friends around them, but on the whole world around them. And you know, folks, even during this COVID-19 epidemic crisis that we're seeing all around us, uh, it's causing anxiety. I, I, you know, I spent time with the hairdressers. I got my hair cut earlier in the week where things were getting a little too crazy and uh, talked to two gals there. And they expressed great concern to me about the fact is, what are we going to do? This is the only way we make a living. Uh, we don't have EI. We don't have these benefits. And the, the anxiety, and one shared too about her, the aspect that she had... Uh, uh, COPD, and and, I, and as they share with me, I thought, wow, the the anxiety levels was was surprising, but not surprising. And so into that calm, there's people going to be around you that you're going to probably Facebook with, or you're going to talk to on the phone. And the one thing that's going to be clear is that people are very anxious, and frankly, they have a right to be. For those who know not Christ, there's a reason to be anxious because for them, all they have is what's right here, right now. And there's nothing else. But for those of us who know Christ, we have this confidence, this hope, that even if we were to be stricken with this disease, and if we were to die, for those of us who know Christ, it is for me to live as Christ and die is gain, the Apostle Paul says. And so I have this confidence that no matter what happens, God's in charge, God is sovereign, and he will see me through. 
I have this confidence. Why do I have that confidence? Because as I spend time reading God's Word, I become assured through the teaching and preaching of God's Word that I can have this confidence because God's Word is always true. So, you know, there's no such thing as instant spirituality and instant maturity. But let me conclude today's message to you today that what some of the other men have said. John Phillips writes to remind us that throughout history, God has had his strong young men. Let me give you some background. Martin Luther was 27 when he marched down the stairs of the Scala Sancta in Rome, realizing that salvation was by faith and not by works. He was 34 when he nailed his monumental works, the 95 Theses, to the door of Wittenberg Church. Wittenberg Church, pardon me. George Mueller was 27 when he moved to Bristol, sure that God wanted him to open an orphanage strictly on the basis of faith. With no money in hand, he was committed to telling the needs only to God. And George Mueller, if you want to read A Life of Faith, that's a fantastic biography to read. Take time, well, you've got time, to be able to read it. John Bunyan was 32 years old when he was jailed for preaching without permission of the established church. And in that prison, he wrote the immortal Pilgrim's Progress. William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army, was 36 when he founded the Salvation Army. He threw himself into the dens and stews of London's East End to rescue the poor, the wretched, and despised. 36 years old. David Brainerd was 25 years old when he got set out to convert the American Indians. He was only 29 years when he died, and yet the impact that he had on people around him. William Carey was still in his teens when he could read the Bible in six languages. He was 32 when he went to India and launched the modern missionary era. Such are God's strong young men. And again, I guess the question is, well, okay, Pastor, what can I do to grow and mature in the Christian life? That's a good question. There are three things that you need to do to grow. And if you're not growing and you're still hung up in the flesh, you'll stay there unless you say, you know, I, I want to change. Most of us really don't like change. However, there's some changes I do like. Sort of like when I go to buy a new car. Yeah, I'm really up for that. When I want to buy a new shirt, when I want to buy something new that's really great, some new gadget, some new electronics. That's always cool. But when somebody tells me you need to change, it's funny how you get your back up a little bit and you go like, I don't like being told what to do. But folks, when God calls us and says, here, you need to change on the basis of his word, it's time to really listen up. So much you're out of fellowship with Christ, you're not spending time on the word, you paralyze growth and you'll stay the way you are. Don't give over, give over any territory to Satan that doesn't belong to him. He, he doesn't belong to you anymore. You don't belong to him. But there's, here are three things to live and grow by. One, you need to meditate in God's Word. You know what that means? Well, the Scripture plays that out very well. The idea of meditation is the idea of thinking, processing. And so when you read a passage, pull away, meditate. What's What's really happening here? What's God really saying in this passage? Why is the author actually writing this? How does this really apply to my life? And be able to walk away with thinking to yourself, here's an area in my life that God really wants me to grow in and that I need to be stretched in and, and do that. So that's one thing. Meditate, read God's Word. That's number, that's number one. Two, that is a little tougher. Submit. Yeah, I know, you, you hate that word too. Yeah, you always hate that word. But God says submit. 
and listen to my, the Holy Spirit say, you know, sometimes you're reading God's word and you're listening to it and all of a sudden like, bang, and you're reading this and you're just like, man, I read that, read that probably five or six times and all of a sudden in my life and now I'm reading it and now it's really hitting me. Whoa, this is really interesting. And when God pricks your heart to the reading of his word, that's, that's the Holy Spirit of God talking to you and saying, hey, listen to what I'm telling you. And then the key thing right next to it is number three, obey. Submit, obey, and carry out God's will in your life. What are they? Meditate in God's word. Two, submit and listen to the Holy Spirit's leading. Three, obey and carry out God's will in your life. Are they tough? You bet. The Christian life isn't easy street for any one of us. But God, when he gives us commands, also enables us through the power of the Holy Spirit that resides within our lives, empowers and strengthens us to be able to carry out those points in our lives. Say, Pastor, I don't know if I can pull this all off. Guess what? You can't. Get over it. But, as you say to God, Lord, have your way in my heart. Have your way in my life. He will enable you to spend time in His Word, to submit and listen to the Holy Spirit's calling, and to obey and carry out His will in your life. Let's pray. Father, I come before you today. Thank you for your Word. And Father, I pray that as you speak to people's hearts through your Holy Spirit, that you would take this message and drive it home. I pray for all our Lighthouse family and for all those who might be watching today, Father, that you might use this message to impact the hearts and lives of those who listen. Help me, Father, as your servant, to not only speak your word, but to live your word too. Help me, Lord, to, to be one who spends times and meditates in your word, one who submits and listens to the Holy Spirit's leading, one who obeys and carry out God's will in my life. Father, we need you. And Father, the world today needs Jesus Christ greater than ever before. So Lord, even though everything around us is being shaken, Lord, for those who have you in our lives, we will not be shaken. We will stand firm in the grace and knowledge of Christ that is within our lives. So Father, bless us and help us be a blessing to others. For we ask it in Christ's name, amen.